Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 117, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 21. The New Testament, the sources, part 5, Luke, and the conclusion of the sources. When talking about the sources of the Quran and of the Islamic Jesus, the emphasis tends to be on apocryphal gospels and various stories of the time. But there is one I think we should briefly mention before moving on, and that would be the Bible itself. Now, it's quite possible Muhammad never read a proper church-approved gospel. It's very possible, even probable. And one thing that is often pointed out in support of a very common idea that Muhammad was a bit misinformed on traditional Christianity during his lifetime, is actually from the Quran itself. Now listen to this from Surah 5, verse 116. And on judgment day, Allah will say, O Jesus, son of Mary, did you ever ask the people to worship you and your mother as gods besides Allah? He will answer, Glory be to you, How could I ever say what I had no right to say? If I had said such a thing, you would have certainly known it. You know what is hidden within me, but I do not know what is within you. Indeed, you alone are the knower of all unseen. Now, you may have mentioned that part. He's saying, Jesus, did you ask the people to worship you and your mother as gods? And you might be a tad confused, thinking, wait a minute, when did Mary join the Trinity? I never got that memo. Now, sometimes, particularly among Catholics, (laughs) when people outside of Catholicism look at Catholics and they think, do they worship Mary? I mean, they don't. That's veneration. But even the fiercest critics, I can't think of a single person, as much as they may hate Catholics, What they never say is, those people think that Mary is part of the Trinity. But we have that here, in Surah 5. And this is often used as evidence that Muhammad fundamentally misunderstood Christian doctrine. Now, that may have been true at some level, probably. But you could just as easily argue that This came with a disagreement with some of the more fanatical heretics in the area that anyone in authority probably would not call a Christian. And when you see this kind of thing, just remember, Arabia is where many of the heretics go once they're kicked out of the Christian kingdoms. And Islamic apologists may also point out here that this same language could be used when giving excessive and undeserved respect to anyone. So this isn't necessarily a misunderstanding of the Trinity, but in reality, who knows? And that's certainly a theme when it comes to Christianity in early Islam. You just don't know, and you have to be comfortable with not knowing, and even just not drawing conclusions. You know, who who was it? that was telling Muhammad that Mary was part of the Trinity. We don't know. 
And the actual sources, you know, and the people being refuted by the Quran in this instance, they're often kind of mysterious, which is why, just briefly, I'd like to touch on the actual gospels that may have made their way into Islamic doctrine. And one in particular, that would be Luke. So why would Luke be considered a source for Islamic stories about Jesus? It is something I've heard some talk about here and there, although the evidence is not super great. This is just something to kind of throw at you to think about. Although remember, if Muhammad had access to the Gospels, it wasn't like he had a pocket Bible or something. It was more like scraps here and there, and what was known all the way down in his part of the desert. Just think of it this way. The Byzantines a Christian kingdom with Constantinople at its heart. The Byzantines had the entire chicken. The whole thing. On the other hand, the Arabs just had a nugget or two. And they probably had no idea which part of that chicken that their particular nugget came from. If it was chicken at all. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a turkey for all they know, although turkeys didn't exist. They were over in the Western Hemisphere at the time. But among the nuggets that are known, Luke is likely part of those Arabic chicken nuggets, or like with the Apocryphal Gospels, at least a part of it. And this is just so critical to understanding this period and this sort of relationship. And this may be hard to process for anyone who didn't live before the internet, but unless you get into that mind frame, it's just very hard to understand how information back in the day used to get from one place to another, and how the Arabs would have had a patchwork understanding of the current religious knowledge to the north. Now, back before the internet, there were two main ways you got information. Either you thought you heard it somewhere, or you looked it up, physically, in some kind of authoritative book like a giant encyclopedia, or that huge book at the library called the Unabridged Dictionary. Now, these giant books were usually called reference materials. And if it couldn't be looked up there, well, tough luck. So the Arab situation was basically like a giant region without reference books, especially when it came to religion. The great books of Judaism and Christianity, they existed, but for the most part, the reference books were nowhere near Arabia. Well, at least the Christian books. I do like to think someone in Medina must have had a copy of the Torah somewhere. Although it would almost surely have been in Hebrew, so Arabs would have to take the word of the few people around who could actually read and write Hebrew. But as far as Christian Bibles, that would be an extremely, extremely expensive item to have around for a community with so few Christians. So often you heard it from someone who heard it from someone else who knew a guy who read the actual book once, maybe. And that was normal. You just had to grab knowledge when you could get it. And frankly, ancient peoples had to be smarter than us because information was far more scarce. And one interesting scrap of the gospel, or little nugget that actually made it to Arabia. It had to do with Luke's nativity narrative. 
you have Zechariah and all this information about Mary's family and the many details we see in the Sora of Mary. Now, yes, the Apocrypha may have played a role in all of this, but as far as canonical gospels, this is a pretty easy link to make because our Christmas nativity plays would be quite short if not for Luke. And you could arguably say the same thing about both major narratives in the Quran about Mary and the nativity, particularly the parts leading up to the birth. They vary, not certainly, but they can be easily traced back to Luke, at least among the canonical Gospels. So we have the nativity uh, as evidence of a maybe Gospel passage that got down in the form of a nugget, probably, to Arabia. And then there is another gospely sounding passage, and Luke would have been a reasonable source for this one. This is source 7, verse 40. Lo, they who deny our revelations and scorn them, for them the gates of heaven will nor be opened, nor will they enter the garden until the camel goeth through the needle's eye. Thus do we requite the guilty. So we have the camel, the eye of the needle. And that one, it's in three Gospels. And Luke is one of them. And the phrase is so well known, it seems unlikely it was just invented independently. And to refer to the same thing, it's not impossible. You know, it is possibly just an expression used by people who maybe thought, hey, the camel's the biggest thing that they could think of, and the eye of the needle was the smallest hollow opening they could think of. Maybe. But it's an astounding coincidence, if indeed it is one. And really, that's about the only Quranic passage I can think of with a direct, obvious source in the gospel. But many of the themes are there in the Quran, particularly from Luke. For example, there is the notion of the gospel being extended to all people, not just to Jews. Now, Luke was the only Gentile author in the New Testament, and he's offering a universal message. Take the Good Samaritan, for example. That's Luke. And you'll see the same themes throughout the Quran, just like the gospel does not look down on non Jews. The Quran does not look down on non-Arabs. This is a universal message. This would be one message for all peoples. You see that so much in Luke as you see it in the Quran. And funny enough, both religions would take off after being roundly rejected by their local Jewish communities only to find a very, very receptive audience among those who had no preconceived notions of the God of Israel. Now, the major difference, obviously, is that Jesus and his disciples were Jewish. It was a Jewish movement with a Jewish hierarchy and Jewish missionaries. Islam was never a Jewish movement. It just happened to be taking place with Jews nearby in Medina, and obviously borrowing very, very heavily from previous Jewish ideas. So you could say that, in many ways, the Quran is Luke-like in spirit. But really, that's it. 
there just aren't many stories that are clearly lifted from the Gospels and put into the Quran, be they parables or specific narratives. You do see a few of Jesus' parables make it into the Hadith literature, or at least variations of them. There's the mustard seed, uh, the workers of the vineyard come to mind. But like the Quranic version of, say, the nativity or some other aspect of Jesus, you know, in the Hadith as well, it's a hodgepodge of sources that, if they exist at all, are very hard to identify. And you don't really see anything in the Quran from the epistles either, be it Peter or Paul or even James. I have to think if early Muslims had the epistle of James handy, it would have been used extensively, but they clearly did not. And this is what makes comparing Islamic and Christian stories and doctrines so difficult. Even the greatest Muslim scholars don't know everything the Quran is referring to. Same with the background, the authoritative set of stories behind the Quran and the Hadith literature. It's just not known, either because Muhammad never considered that to be an important thing, which is probably true, but also because in all probability, an authoritative list of background stories and literature did not exist. Now, this is getting confusing. What I mean here, when I say background authorities, that would be the common set of facts and or stories that everybody agrees upon. For example, when Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees, they knew, and we know now, exactly what they were arguing about. They had a common set of facts a background canon, you could call it. That's canon, C-A-N-O-N. A a canon that was the basis of the Pharisees' arguments, and the Sadducees' arguments, and Jesus' argument, and so on. They all shared the first five books of the Bible, at least, and that common document was readily available. Jesus had to know the scriptures. And in these arguments, if someone just made something up, there were many, many educated people who were there to set him straight. But in Arabia, it was a much different situation. There was no clergy class that Muhammad would be arguing with. He wasn't going to the Kaaba to debate the high priest of whatever, because that didn't really exist. Anyone could make up anything they wanted to and worship it at the Kaaba. So there was no written canon, no common set of facts. And quite often, they were just slinging poetry back and forth, recalling something the other person may or may not have heard to make a point. And these were not going to be academic arguments. It would look more like a rap battle than a scholarly debate. And that goes double when Christianity was the subject. Because as I've said here before, that maybe, maybe the people in Mecca knew some basic aspects of Christianity. But in reality, the dogmas of Christianity, as they would have been understood by Arabs of that time and place, those ideas were held collectively in the minds of a few scattered people who called themselves Christians. And in the mind of the wider world, particularly the Christian world, they probably wouldn't have even been seen as Christians. Really, 
If any of the four popes who reigned during Muhammad's lifetime had come down to Arabia, they would have freaked out. I mean, completely lost their minds if they saw what was being debated, not just from Muhammad, but from the people who claimed to be on their side. So, like I've touched on a few times in various episodes, is it really a debate between Christians and Muslims if there are no Christians? Okay, that will be it for the sources. And next time, we're just going to go right into the Islamic Jesus. But when we do, always keep this in mind. Particularly in the early periods of Islam, don't think that Muhammad is sitting around thinking systematically about his thoughts versus those of the Christians and deliberately forming a coherent doctrine for the ages. That comes later. And not from Muhammad. That comes from the scholars long after Muhammad is dead. And a similar principle holds with the Quran. Now, when I said the Quran is often more like a rap battle than a debate about systematic theology, that's not 100% of the time. But particularly for the early Meccan surahs, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, the idea is to defeat a specific opponent or convince a certain audience. So always keep that audience in mind and keep the situation in mind. Because sometimes through the Quran, God is giving a specific rule in light of a specific situation. This isn't like Deuteronomy. It's not a codified law being given to the people like in its perfected form. That comes later. So when you talk about the Islamic Jesus, or the Islamic anything, one major distinction is what the Quran says, and then what the later scholars say as they try to make sense of it, and to systematize it, and to turn it into Islamic law and Islamic theology. And especially when it comes to Christianity, and especially when it comes to Jesus, the Quranic message is quite often mysterious and light on details, and most definitely open to interpretation. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time, inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.